Today's episode of the Hot Four podcast is brought to you by Premier Systems, creators of Brewman, the UK's number one brewery management software used by over 200 breweries and distilleries of all sizes. The end-to-end system covers all back office functions such as CRM, stock control, distribution, cash tracking, reporting, raw material purchase ordering and traceability. Brewman helps brewers focus on making great beer, not doing paperwork. Brewman is a cloud-based subscription service with no long-term contracts or any setup fees and starts from just £20 a month. If you would like more information about Brewman or to book a demo of this software, please get in touch at 02380 811 100. That's 02380 811 or email sales at premiersystems.com or visit the website premiersystems.com. This is Nick Law and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello dwellers of the beer kellers and welcome to another Hot Forward podcast. Uh, This weekend gone, I headed to Smokefest at Torside Brewing with my good friend and partner in crime, Paddy Spencer, to record the 50th episode of the Hot Forward podcast. Uh, If you've been counting, we're currently on episode 48 and it's quite hard to believe how this show has taken on a life of its own. Uh, We've talked about mental health, contract brewing, making beer with bread delved into the realms of raw materials, dived the deep depths of discussing the pub trade, brewery equipment, the social aspects of beer, uh, slayed the topics of supermarkets and painted a picture of branding and design with various guests. But in today's episode, we talked the Yoda of beer journalism, the living legend that is Roger Protz. Roger, now in his 80s, has a career spanning four decades where he has seen everything from the camera revolution take on keg beer, such as Watney's Red Barrel, tasted many, many IPAs, among other styles, and now has the pleasure of speaking at events across the country and beyond about beer. Uh, What I loved about interviewing Roger was his passion for beer and brewing, He came alive when asked about the world's greatest liquid. And I hope when my years are spent and I've tried as many beers across the ages as he has, I still have that same enthusiasm and devotion to being a part of this fantastic industry. Uh, So so I really hope you enjoy this episode of the Hot Four podcast. Uh, We recorded it at Sheffield's Steel City Beer and Cider Festival a few weeks ago. I mean, it's it's hard to believe it's nearly Christmas, you know. Um, Whilst on that subject, don't forget, if you're in the Sheffield area... 
Hopes and Beers, which is an evening of funked up festive hymns and new beers from Emmanuel's My Brewing Brand, is happening at the Lost Industry Tap on Sunday, the 1st of December from 5pm onwards. You're all invited. Uh, make sure you come down. It'd be really great to meet some of our avid listeners there and uh, share a beer and some cheer at Christmas time. And while you gear up for 2020, make sure you check out hotford.beer. We'd love to work with you on your next project, whether that's setting up a brewery or looking for some consultancy, uh, branding or rebranding your business or looking at developing your marketing or you need some business support and strategy in place to increase sales. However it is we can help you in the area of beer, brands and business, we are here to help you get ahead uh, feel free to ask some questions if you want on our socials at hot four beers or just stay tuned for more episodes like this one by hitting subscribe on itunes spotify google play and the like and finally make sure we take time to thank our sponsors uh, without their help we couldn't keep the show on the road um so go and show some appreciation check out their offerings because we're all working together in an industry to provide people with good beer and good times so go share the love and check out what they're up to okay turn your ears to the jedi master of malt the yeast from the southeast the top of the hops the porter of the water i'm scraping the barrel now for beer related analogies um yeah mr roger props uh, talking about the journey of beer through modern times and the role of camera for today's drinker uh, today on the Hot Four podcast, I'm here at Sheffield Steel City Beer and Cider Festival, joined by the legendary Roger Frotz. Hello. <laughs> Hello. How's, how's it going? Very well. Good. Uh, Roger, for our, for our listeners, maybe some of whom may be unfamiliar with your outstanding contribution to the beer industry, what, what, what have you been up to these last 40 years? <laughs> uh, writing and drinking good beer. Um, I've always enjoyed beer. And then back in the 1970s, I couldn't understand why I didn't like beer anymore. Beer had become very sweet and gassy and not very pleasant. And then I heard about Camera, which started in 1971, and eventually I went to work for, for them. But I found out what was happening to beer in this country, was, which was that a handful of very large national breweries had taken over. They merged and closed down lots of breweries, and they were flooding the country with something called keg beer which had never been seen before, because up mm. until then, all beer was really hand-pulled, cask-conditioned beer. And suddenly this horrible stuff came in, and it was very profitable for the big brewers because it had what they called long shelf life, whereas a cask of beer, once it's tapped, has to be drunk within a couple of days. Yeah. So things like Watney's Red Barrel, Double Diamond, Worthington E were making lots and lots of money for these giant new breweries. But then up sprang the campaign for Real Ale, Camera, and they started a campaign to save breweries from takeover and closure. And they also encouraged smaller brewers to go on doing cask-conditioned beer. And it really started from there, and I went to work for them in 76 and eventually became editor of the Good Beer Guide, and it's really gone on from there. (laughs) Amazing. I mean, in the time you've been in the beer industry, and as a writer and editing the Good Beer Guide, for camera over the many years. How, how have you seen the beer industry change and seen beer change in society? I mean, can, can you take us on that journey from the, the 70s until yeah. now? Well, uh, the very first Good Beer Guide, published in 1974, 
listed just 116 breweries in this country. 116? Yeah, today, oh, wow. there are, today there are more than 2,000. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all those breweries back in the 70s were, were producing just two beers, mild and bitter, nothing else. Mm. Perhaps a Christmas beer, but really nothing else. I mean, look at the choice today, quite amazing. You know, I've seen and I've helped promote famous beer styles like IPA, pale ale, barley wine, stout and porter, all these great old historical beer styles have come back. But now people are pushing the envelope so much that you've got amazing new beer styles, people using herbs and spices and chocolate and coffee and beer. Yeah. Some amazing things out there. Not everybody likes all the new beer styles. They Sour beers are now all the rage. They can be a bit challenging, shall we say. Mm. But uh, but there's such diversity now, it's really quite astonishing. Yeah, how's, how's your personal palate changed over the years? Mm. It has changed a lot. Um, <coughs> I don't get on with some of these over-hopped, citrusy American-style beers. They're just too much for me. Mm. I mean, how much grapefruit do you want <laughs> in, in your beer? Yeah. But... Um, <coughs> No, I'm doing a book at the moment on the family brewers of Britain. There are still 30 family brewers left. And I'm travelling around the country and marvelling at some of the fantastic beers still being brewed by these old brewers. I was up at Timothy Taylor's in Keithley a few weeks ago. Mm. It's hard to imagine a better beer than land, Landlord. Well, it's kind of being revered, isn't it, Landlord, again, yeah. but by, uh, particularly by a lot of um, the newer brewers today it's, you know you start to see a, a pint of Taylor landlord appear at their beer festivals like that's right and that is a beer which they don't cut any corners they use the finest malts and the hops they get their hops from slovenia as well as using english hops and the beer is aged and matured properly and served with great care and they say we charge a little bit more than other brewers but you know we, that's because we're using good hops and good mm. malt yeah there's a lovely story about landlord <coughs> When Dave Wickett opened the Fat Cat, he phoned Ward's Brewery and said, I want, I've got a pub and a cellar, no beer, can you put some beer in? And the head brewer came round and said, I'll tell you what I'll do, he said, I'll put some cellar tanks in and some pressure points on the bar. And Dave said, I don't want that, I want cask beer, not tank beer. So the head brewer walked off in a huff and Dave thought, crikey, I haven't got any beer. <laughs> so he rang, in desperation, rang Timothy Taylor's and said, could I have an 18 of Landlord? And they said, we don't deliver to Sheffield. <laughs> <laughs> so he drove all the way, put an 18-gallon cask in his car, brought it back. And he phoned them two days later and said, you know, I bought that 18 of Landlord. They said, oh, we suppose you couldn't sell it. Said, no, it's gone. I want two more. Wow. And they said, two more, we'll deliver. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you get a pint of that beer on cask, you know, it's, it's just <clears> like, and it's, and it's served in optimal condition. Yeah. It's just amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And, um, you know, I've heard it's a, it's a real beast to, to keep and to yeah. sell it. Like, wh wh why is that? <laughs> Some beers are notoriously difficult. I mean, the Burton beers are very, very notorious because they undergo a massive secondary fermentation in the cask. And if you're not careful, the, when you tap the cask, the beer goes, mm. goes everywhere. So you have to really look after it very carefully, let it settle for a few days. I mean, um, some of the Burton beers and probably Landlord as well, they do need about seven days in the cellar before you can tap them. Otherwise, they just explode. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned about IPAs and the big citrusy, hoppy American IPAs that are out there and, and not, not personally being fond of them like how um, I mean what do you think makes a good IPA because obviously you're doing a session in here mm. later ba based on part on IPAs like what what do you think a good IPA should look <coughs> like 
A good IPA. <coughs> Another beer that we've almost lost, it's still around, is Draft Bass. When I first started writing about beer and people like you would interview me and say, what is your favourite beer? I always said Draft Bass because mm. Draft Bass was absolutely amazing. Now that beer is a direct link with the original IPAs from Burton-on-Trent in the 19th century. And it's a very simple beer. It's pale malt, brewing sugar and English hops. Nothing tricky. Now, I found a pub in London. Would you believe in the new good beer guy there's only one pub in London selling draft bass? Wow. It used to be far and away the biggest selling premium cask beer in this country, mm. worth 800,000 barrels. Can you imagine that? So it's now down to 35,000 barrels because when bass left brewing in 2000, the breweries were bought by what is now AB InBev, mm. <laughs> the yeah. world's biggest brewer. And they consider draft bass to be a low volume beer because oh they mainly yeah. make Budweiser and Stella. So they've got no interest in the beer. It's brewed for them by um, uh, Marston's in Burton on Right. I went to this one pub in London two weeks ago, the Express Tavern on Kew Bridge. Any of your listeners, if you're in London, West London, go to Kew Gardens, go to the Express Tavern on Kew Bridge Road and enjoy a pint of draft bass. And what I love about it is it's, it's balanced. And that is what the American brewers sometimes don't understand. Wine is made just from grape juice. Cider is made just from apple juice. Beer is made by balancing malted barley and hops, two very different raw ingredients. Mm. And you've got to get that balance right. And draft bass does it. It's nutty. It's biscuity, hoppy, but they're all beautifully in balance and you can really just luxuriate as you drink that beer. Do, do you think a lot of brewers today, particularly the newer brewers, do you, do you think they're not going for balance so much and, and, and therefore to some extent are shooting themselves in the foot in the long run because yeah. like, you know, you might have one of these really like heavily dry hopped, you know, 25 grams a litre <laughs> double IPAs. It's like, oh, that's amazing. But you, you wouldn't go back for another one. Whereas something like Bass, as you say, or Tim Taylor's or um, London Pride, you know, you, mm. you, you would have several of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you think that's a, a problem long term for brewers as they yeah, try I and <coughs> establish a beer I business? I mean, what is happening in America is that a number of brewers are now producing what they call session IPAs. Yep. And they are much less heavily hopped. I've got nothing against hops. I love hops. You know, I grew up in East London. I didn't go myself, but kids would go off with their parents hop picking in the autumn. I wish I had got a wonderful <laughs> experience. So, I mean, hops are very, very important to beer, but you've got to, again, as I say, get that balance right. Um, and I think American brewers are beginning to understand that not everybody wants their ears blasted off with hops every time they... The difference is, in America, 80% of beer is drunk at home. The off-trade, the on-trade is very small. In this country, 50% of beer is still drunk in pubs. Mm. If you go to the pub, um, if you're at home, you can perhaps sip a beer very slowly in a pub. You're drinking much more quickly. You don't want to be blasted by all this ex aggravated hop hoppiness. So you want a beer that's, that's nicely in balance. There's a pub, I live in St Albans in Hertfordshire. There's a pub there where they sell Oakham Citra. Oakham, wonderful brewery, do lovely beers. Now, people rave about Oakham Citra, but I can only drink one pint of that because mm. it's just overly citrusy. Too much grapefruit for me. Yeah. So many people often ask to try to stay ahead of the curve what the latest trends <laughs> in beer are, what the next big thing <laughs> is. Like, I mean, sh surely you've seen that play out again and again yeah. over time. Like, wh what are some of the commonalities in the patterns that occur within the world of beer when it comes to what's fashionable and on trend? <clears throat> 
it's still IPA. I read a couple of days ago that the biggest number of entries in the awards at the Great American Beer Festival last month, IPA, right. still IPA, followed by flavoured IPA, by which they mean adding yeah, all like manner of strange stuff, things. Yeah, yeah. So IPA is still um, ruling the roost. Um, sour beers, of course. Now, I don't like the term sour. What they're doing is they are attempting to brew beers similar to Belgian Lambic. Now, the Belgian Lambic brewers don't call their beers sour. They don't like the term. Mm. Um, they say their beers are more like brute champagne. Acidic, which is not quite the same as sour. Yep. I mean, you wouldn't drink a sour champagne, but you'd drink, you'd drink an acidic champagne, wouldn't you? Um, but they're very, very popular. Um, what is coming along the track now, funnily enough, is a little-known Belgian style called Saison, which, which is really only brewed in the French-speaking part mm. of Belgium. It means season, obviously. used to be a beer brewed by farmers during the harvest to refresh them and their, and their workers. Um, and that is quite a malty beer. They, they, of course they use hops, but um, again, that's a much more well-balanced beer. And I'm amazed to see this little-known beer style now becoming very, very popular. But a lot of American and a lot of British brewers are now making Saison. Oh, I, I love them. I think they're yeah. great. I, I know in America it seems to be a bit more prevalent over there than over here. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, which, which beer styles, uh, apart from IPA, obviously, <laughs> um, do, do you think will endure and stand the test of time? Oh. And what do you think makes them so popular? I think the beer style that will endure is stout because stout mainly because of the domination of guinness i think guinness everybody will say guinness stout is not what it used to be um i think that's mainly because their their eyes are on the american market rather than the british market yep. but because everybody knows guinness stout there are so many other wonderful stouts around now and because of the popularity of stout that's led on to porter now the question i'm most asked whenever i do a talk or an interview is what is porter the answer is porter is Stout. It's just that the first stouts were called porter, and the strongest ones were called stout porter. Mm. And they uh, they weren't originally very dark beers. They were brown beers. And then in the 19th century, they got darker when it was possible to make darker malts using a sort of coffee grinder mm. method. And uh, they remain very popular, even though the British government tried to phase them out during World War I because so much energy went into making these roasted malts and the government wanted that energy to go to the baking industry rather than to the brewing industry. But um, in the last 20, 30 years, Porter and Stout have come back in a big way and I love them. And they're not just a winter beer. I mean, funnily enough, Porter got its name because they were popular with porters in yes. London. Yeah. And they, they were refreshing beers. Mm. And even on a very hot day, a porter can be a lovely, refreshing beer. So it's great to see. I've, I've written a book about porter and stout, so I've played a little bit of part in the revival of the style. It's really good to see them back again. Oh, I love stouts. Yeah. I, could, I could drink stouts all day long, yeah, every yeah. day throughout the year. Yeah. So changing tack a little bit, Camera, uh, an organisation mm. that was set up to save cask-conditioned beers. I mean, it, it appears to have fulfilled its goal. Um, <laughs> you know, with, with more handcrafted real ales served naturally in casks, possibly than ever before, and yet there seems to be a reticence from cameras as a whole to embrace modern craft keg, quote-unquote, 
Um, although, you know, key kegs have become in, into play a little bit more with festivals like, like this one mm. and the Great British Beer Festival. I mean, wh- why is CO2 suching beer such a big deal? <laughs> I mean, uh, particularly when there's a drive within culture now towards sustainability mm. and, and you get companies for making one trip kegs that are fully recyclable, but this, because the CO2 touches the beer, oh no, we, we won't take that kind of keg at a camera mm. festival, yeah. only key kegs. Like, where do you see camera going as far as CO2 is concerned in the future <laughs> and balancing that with something yeah. like sustainability and culture? Yeah. I think there are some camera members who think there are two types of CO2. There's good CO2 and bad <laughs> CO2. There's only one type of yeah. CO2. Um, camera is changing. It takes a long time. It's like turning around a big oil tanker. It's a big organisation, nearly 200,000 members. Um, let me say that I think they're wonderful people. Here we are at a beer festival where volunteers, I mean, they're not being paid, they're volunteers mm. who've not only today on the opening day, but for weeks beforehand, planning it and ordering the beer, ordering the food and making sure everything is suitable for health and safety and so on. It's a big, big job putting on a beer festival. And as I go around the country, I think these are most amazing people who for over 40 years have been putting on these beer festivals to, as a showcase for great beer. Um, many of them, like me, are a bit long in the tooth now, and because they fought all the big battles of the 70s and the 80s, they're a bit nervous of adopting modern trends. And if mm. you say keg to them, they think, oh, red barrel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of course, modern keg beers are nothing like those awful beers of back in the 1970s. Mm. But it is changing. I mean, I go around the country going to beer festivals. Many of them now, most of them now, do have key keg bars, and there's one here. My beer festival in St Albans a few weeks ago, they had them, and I thought it would never happen in St Albans because they're real diehards, lovely people, personal friends of mine, but they had them this year for the first time, so it's going to happen. Yeah. It's got to happen because we've got to attract new, younger people. Yeah. Which breweries then, out, out of the, particularly out of the newer ones, do you, do you think are really like owning it right now? Like, you know, the, the ones that are just excelling head and shoulders above the crowd, and, and what do you think sets those breweries apart? Crikey, what a question. I mean, there are so many breweries now. It would be insulting to name a few and not name the others. <laughs> um, I'm very impressed. This will mean nothing to your listeners, but in my, on my home patch in Hertfordshire, there's Far Brew just outside St Albans in a place called Wheatamstead, and they're on a farm. And not only are they brewing wonderful beers, but they're growing hops. Right. And hops don't usually grow in Hertfordshire, mm. but they're growing hops. And they're going to make their own malt, would you believe? Wow. Because at the moment, as you say, everybody has to be very eco-conscious and looking after carbon footprints. And at the moment, they have to get their malt from Suffolk. To stop that happening, they're growing barley on the site, and the farmer is going to build a malt house so they can turn the barley into malt. Isn't that fantastic? That's amazing. Amazing, yeah. They're on a farm. There's another brewery very nearby called Three Brewers, so they're using lovely borehole water from the farm, doing great beers. There's a brewery near Berkhamstead called Mad Squirrel, and you talk about Porter, they're London Porter. Oh my goodness, it wins so many awards. Mm. So that's just a few in, on my home patch. Or oh, the Tring Brewery, I mustn't forget the Tring Brewery, one of the oldest uh, microbreweries, not micro anymore, they're quite big in, in Hertfordshire. But going around the country, I mean, uh, Thornbridge in Derbyshire, I mean... Oh, Thornbridge, yeah. Pace, pace setters, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, oh, they really are. I yeah. mean, um, as I started to get into... I mean, I've been into real ales for, for years and years mm. and years, but 
when I started brewing myself and came across Jaipur for the yeah. first time, yeah. it was just like this divine revelation, you yeah. know, what, what is this? This is a phenomenal beer, you know, and it's, obviously it's quite dangerous to have a, a pint of that or two in, in cask because it yeah. goes down so yeah. easily. Um, I mean, here we are in Sheffield and of course I know the Kalamaran beers and I've always loved them from day one but uh, I'm, I'm here and I'm looking forward to tasting beers I'd, I've never come across before and I love some of the names I mean Little Critters and, <laughs> and some of the other Fuggle Bunnies <laughs> yeah f- funnily enough I've d- you just opened up for our listeners opened yeah. a programme uh, Ray- so I used to work for Sheffield Brewery Company I was ah, the, uh, when yeah. I took over the brewing job from Tim and uh, I named that beer Razor Paste um, <laughs> so that that beer was it's in an old polish works yeah. and um, they used to have all these different tins of you know like Renovator and um, uh, Blanco and uh, the Don which I was like that's got to be a stout name and I saw this one Razor Paste and I was like that's just such a great name for an IPA it's and it's name. the thing that people comment on the most yeah. about that beer it's kind yeah. of like oh yeah. great name but I'm not yeah. quite sure I want to drink it but yeah. you know it's a great great beer the only thing that disappoints me I've chosen the beers but with the exception of Tilly's Brewery um, from Gloucestershire English IPA using um, Fuggles and Goldings hops. Mm. all the other beers are using American Australian New Zealand hops. Yeah. Use English hops, otherwise we're going to lose them. <laughs> mm. Well, I know Charles Farron have their breeding programme, don't they? For yeah. stuff like Jester and Olicana yeah. and Ernest and, and those yeah. beers. And I've had some great beers that have yeah. um, utilised those English hops. You know, you're not, not going to get that aggressive bite like you are with Citra and no. Mosaic, but you get a nice rounded mm. hoppiness, which I, I think comes through more than something like, something yeah. like Goldings. Yeah. Um, well, what do you think some of the biggest mistakes um, brewers and pubs are making when it comes to either creating or serving beer at the moment? The key thing is quality. Now, when we had big six national brewers like Bass and Allied Breweries, which included Tetley's and um, Ansel's in Birmingham, Whitbread, of course, they could be criticised for all manner of things, particularly turning their backs on cask beer. But when they did brew cask beer, they made certain it was served in good condition in pubs. Mm. They had quality control managers who would go around pubs. I spent a day doing a piece for The Guardian many years ago with a quality control manager for Allied Breweries. And if he found a speck of dust in a brewery cellar or a, a spider, he would give the landlord absolute hell. The pub companies don't do that. The pub companies are all about getting the beer sold as quickly as possible, never mind the quality. Mm. I went round the corner to my local pub a few weeks ago, a pint of Marston's um, Pedigree, one of my favourite beers, lovely beer. This was a Mitchells and Butler's Ember Inn. This is the south of England, four pounds for a pint. It was flat, it was cloudy, it was out of condition, undrinkable. So what did I do? My second pint, I had a pint of keg, why not? I knew it would be yep. drinkable. Now, if you're not used to relay and you go into a pub and you're given something which you can't drink because it tastes like vinegar, you won't drink it again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think the pub companies have really got to give a lot of attention to quality because beer is so expensive. There was a piece in The Guardian a couple of days ago which really annoyed me because it was going on about how heavily taxed wine is in this country, which is true. Wine is very expensive to buy. But excuse me... How about beer? Because most wine is not made in this country, it's imported, whereas most beer drunk in this country is made here. Mm. And we, with the exception of Finland, we are the most heavily taxed beer country in the European Union. We pay so much tax. I mean, 
I think, I think something like 40% goes to the government every time you buy a pint. I think it's about 2% in Germany. Wow. <laughs> Germany, a great brewing yeah, nation. It's, it's crazy, isn't crazy. it? Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. The Italians don't bother to tax it at all, I don't think. Yes, I'm, I must confess, when I, when I was running a brewery, um, you know, on the 26th of every month when the direct debit came out yeah, for beer yeah. duty, you know, it made my heart sink. It's like, yay, my cash flow is good. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, my cash flow is bad. <laughs> you know. I know. I went to Castle Rock Brewery in Nottingham a few years ago, and being nosy, being a journalist, I saw a cheque on the managing director's desk. It was, like, it was either 25,000 or. There may have been another naught, but that was the month's beer duty. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I dread to think, I mean, obviously, you know, Sheffield Brewery, we're only pretty small, but like, you know, for those large breweries, I can see why brewers don't want to grow above the threshold, yeah. you know, yeah. because it's just economically doesn't stack up for them. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you, you were talking about, um, you know, wines being produced abroad and, and the whole Europe thing and you could probably sense a Brexit question coming up here. But, I mean, what, what do you think, especially with Brexit looming, the future holds British beer, particularly for traditional pubs, which seem to be closing at a rate of knots? Mm. I think pubs are closing, nothing to do with Brexit. Pubs are closing because of, again, prices. But um, I mentioned the pub around the corner for me, £4 for a pint of pedigree. Over the road, there's a Tesco, a, one of the small Tescos. I can go in there and buy... Um, really great beers like Adnam's Ghost Ship or St Austell Tribute mm. and you can get three bottles for a fiver. Now of course pubs can't possibly compete with that. Off licences and off licences and supermarkets don't pay VAT, pubs have to pay VAT and I think it's unfair competition. Now Camera and other people have been railing against the unfairness of this for many years but government does absolutely nothing. Now, a lot of people are saying, including Canberra, that when we do leave the European Union, the British government can introduce differential rates of duty, which you can't do at the moment. And there's a call for draft beer, not just cask beer, but all draft beer in pubs to have lower rates of duty than beer that's sold in the off-trade. And you've got to give pubs a chance to survive. Yep. Otherwise, they just go on closing. Yeah, and I guess business rates as well, you know, are just another... Oh, <laughs> I mean, what can you say? You know? <laughs> I know we're supposed to have a government that is friendly to small businesses. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Again, where I live in St Albans, because it's a very prosperous area, the business rates that pubs are paying are unbelievable. Mm. Yeah. And they're going up by about sixty, seventy percent. Yeah. Whereas Sainsbury's down the road, their rates have been cut. <laughs> So if you could impart one piece of advice into the beer industry today, you know, from, from all your years of wisdom, like something you've learned over all that time of being a beer writer and a journalist and you've just seen, because you've obviously seen so much, like what, what would it be? Oh, again, quality. Make sure that the beer, don't sell beer to pub companies who don't look after the beer well. I know you may be losing money. I don't... I, I think because of the enormous discounts the pub co pubcos demand, you won't actually lose much money if you withdraw your beer from their pubs. <laughs> yeah. But if you're selling beer to pubcos, insist on good quality at the bar, otherwise you're wasting your time. I would say to brewers, give out more information. People don't know. I mean, we're talking about malts and hops. People don't know how beer is made. Everybody knows how wine is made. It's so simple. Just crush some grapes <laughs> and away you go. And I'm not anti-wine. I love wine. But it's a comparatively simple process compared to, compared to beer. I remember donkeys years ago when Whitbread was still brewing. They made an oyster stout 
brewed on the Isle of Man. And they put leaflets on the tables in all their pubs explaining how this beer was made. And you see people sitting there reading that. People go to pubs and if there's something to read, they'll read it, won't they? Mm. So put out more information about how cask-conditioned beer is made and how it's served. And in particular, talk about the ingredients that go into it. Why malt? What is malt? Who knows what malt is? They think it's something you have as a bedtime drink, don't yeah. they? Yeah. <laughs> I heard um, Pete Brown say um, when he was doing a, bu- a book tour for Miracle Brew mm. how Carling ran an ad saying, you know, Carling made with 100% British barley. Yeah. And the amount of complaints they got meant they had to pull the ad because they'd get complaints from people saying things like, oh, I used to prefer Carling, it was made with all them chemicals and stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Crazy. So. Yeah. 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 Um, so ha- thank you for being on the podcast today, Roger. It's been great. How, how can people read more of your work and find out more about what, what you're up to? Uh, uh, if I can plug my website. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Uh, Protsonbeer.co.uk. Amazing. Bill. Yeah. And um, I write for What's Brewing Cameras newspaper and Beer magazine, which is Cameras Quarterly magazine. Um, so that's where you'll find me. Amazing. Brilliant. Roger Prots, thank you very much. Pleasure. Today's episode of the Hot Forward Podcast was proudly brought to you by Premi Systems, creator of Brewman, the UK's number one brewery management software used by over 200 breweries and distilleries of all shapes and sizes. The end-to-end system covers all back office functions such as CRM, stock control, distribution, cash tracking, reporting, raw material purchase ordering and traceability. Brewman helps brewers focus on making great beer, not doing paperwork. Brewman is a cloud-based subscription service with no long-term contracts, so it's great on your cash flow, on there's no setup fees and it starts from just £20 a month. If you'd like more information about Brewman or to book a demo of software, then it just makes sense to get in touch with them on 02380-811-100. That's 02380-811-100. Or email them at sales at premisystems.com or visit their website, premisystems.com. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Forward podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers.